Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pettiprin. In each episode, we bring you in-depth conversations with Catholic authors, focusing on the most important cultural and ecclesiastical matters of our age. For the past 40 years, Ignatius Press has been the leader in Catholic publishing, with a wide variety of media, of authors and titles, old and new. We invite you to learn more about us and explore our extensive offerings at ignatius.com. If you like what we do here on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, follow us on social media, and please consider giving us a five-star review. We pray that this podcast will inspire you as you grow in your faith. Now, on with the show. In Western societies, divorce is an endemic phenomenon, a fact of life. Not only do over a million children in the United States experience the divorce of their parents each year, but also one quarter of all young adults in the U.S. are the products of divorced parents. Whether one's theology or worldview officially condones divorce or not, Few can deny the brokenness that continues to spread over society as a result of our broken homes. The Catholic Church is, of course, well known as being against divorce, infamously so in the eyes of secular society. But in fact, the Church understands that a real sacramental marriage cannot be dissolved any more than a baptized person could be re-paganized, even if he ceases to live as a Christian, or a priest unordained, even if, for whatever reason, he does not continue to live the clerical life. Indeed, among the sacraments, Catholics believe marriage is somewhat unique as being instituted in creation itself. Our primordial ancestors, Adam and Eve, were made for each other and for no one else. The Catechism of the Catholic Church therefore reminds us that because marriage is part of the natural law, divorce necessarily does injury to the covenant of salvation, of which sacramental marriage is the sign. Sadly, There are now untold millions of adults in the world who have never dealt seriously with the pain of their parents' divorce or separation. Their unhealed wounds have festered in society in the form of declining marriage and fertility rates, a vicious cycle of divorce in successive generations, high levels of anxiety about personal relationships, and no shortage of anger towards God and the church family members, friends, and most everybody else. Even in what appear to be the most cordial of decouplings, there are myriad negative effects on the souls of everyone involved. Dr. Daniel Miola is an adult child of divorce, and his wife Bethany is not. But together, they have founded the nonprofit apostolate life-giving wounds. Dan and Bethany are determined together to be beacons of hope, encouraging adult children of divorce to seek healing in Christ, to embrace our baptismal identity in belonging to a perfect heavenly father 
and to find consolation from our loving mother, Mary. In the new book, Life-Giving Wounds, a Catholic guide to healing for adult children of divorce or separation, now available from Ignatius Press, Dan and Bethany use the powerful testimonies of people who have sought healing for the wounds of divorce in order to demonstrate how a new generation of Christians may be able to end the reign of brokenness from which marriage has for too long suffered in the modern world. Dan and Bethany Miola are both graduates of the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family, and they live in Maryland with their family now. It is my pleasure to hear the encouraging witness of Dan and Bethany today on the Ignatius Press Podcast. Dan and Bethany Miola, welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. How are you? Great. Doing well, Andrew. How are you? Doing very well. I'm excited because this is the first uh, married couple, the first multiple guests podcast, actually, that I've done in my tenure as host of the Ignatius Press Podcast. So really glad to have you both here with me today. Wow, that's that feels like an honor. That's a big honor. Amazing. Yeah, we're happy to represent as a married couple. Well, it is an honor, and it's an honor to get to talk about your book because, and it's fitting that you're a married couple talking about this book uh, that will be um, pertinent to lots of different people in lots of different circumstances. It's called Life Giving Wounds A Catholic Guide to Healing for Adult Children of Divorce or Separation. Now, I myself am an adult child of divorce, as is my wife, as are lots of my friends and people that I've grown up with. So, I have to think this book is going to speak to the lives of a lot of real people. And this is just not the kind of book that you see very often on the shelves. So what what led you to write this book? Uh, Providence, but no. Uh, Also, I'm an adult child divorce. And Andrew, just thank you for sharing that. I know it can be hard sometimes to share those personal details. It takes a level of vulnerability. Um, Yeah, what what came about was, yeah, there was a level of providence, but I'm an adult child divorce. I needed to work on my own healing for our marriage, for my own individual virtue. Um, I also was blessed to study at the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Washington, D.C., and there, they were doing research on this question of uh, pastoral ministry, but also just the wounds of adult children and divorce there. So it was my research, part of my research as my PhD studies, um, my own healing journey. And then we just started doing the ministry. We just saw a gap in the church's pastoral offerings and started doing ministry in 2015 uh, as a simple retreat ministry that has now blossomed. And we've accompanied over about 1,500 adult children divorce. So a lot of it comes from our own concrete lived experience accompanying others. Now you talk throughout the book. Uh, well, you both, you, you both wrote the book obviously. And there are moments when it's clear that you're speaking Dan. And then there are moments when it's clear that Bethany you're speaking now, Dan, I, I appreciated your reflections from your, your background as a, as an adult child of divorce, but Bethany, you are not an adult child of divorce, and I also appreciated your perspective as the spouse of a an adult child of divorce. I wonder if you could just speak to speak to that uh, that that aspect. 
Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, like you said, I'm not an adult child of divorce, for which I'm very grateful. Um, I share in the book how my parents did have some pretty rough patches during uh, certain points in my childhood. They did separate twice, which was a difficult experience, but they they reconciled. Thanks be to God. Um, so for us, uh, you know, my parents are very much a, a witness of perseverance through difficulty, which is a great gift. Um, but yes, as I'm not an adult child of divorce, we obviously know a lot of people out there are in relationships with somebody who comes from an intact home, someone who doesn't. So we wanted to kind of give a voice to that because sometimes there can be questions that come up. You know, the adult child of divorce could wonder like, oh, like I'm coming from this really messy situation. Like, do I have something to offer? Am I just bringing a whole ton of baggage into this relationship? Will anyone even want me? You know, those really fun, fun um, foundational questions. So part of it was, was showing the gifts that an adult child of divorce can bring to their marriage. Uh, particularly through their intentionality. intentionality. Um, I mean, that's a huge gift that Dan brings to our marriage coming from the background that he does, seeing the brokenness that he went through in his own family, now being able to be completely 100% all in on our marriage is a gift to us. Um, so yeah, we wanted to bring that perspective out through the book. And then also ways that for myself, as someone from an intact home, I don't know the experience of being an adult child of divorce personally, but as a married couple, we share in our experiences together in many ways. Um, so me, you know, sharing the wounds that Dan has and him sharing with wounds that I have. Of course, all of us have certain wounds, sufferings that we go through. Um, so yeah, it's, we do the ministry as a married couple team. We wanted the book to be an expression from both of us um, through our particular perspectives, but in a united way. Yeah, just just to add to that, um, it, yeah, it was very important that it came from the fruit of our marriage um, because it's from. Uh, holy marriage is, is uh, a huge part of the solution for overcoming the cycles of relational brokenness. So we wanted to give voice to like, what does that look like when you come from very different backgrounds? Um, as Bethany beautifully said, the gifts, uh, but also we do know the challenges. And something that's always been very important to us as a couple is to have what we call a common good and a common wounds mindset. So being united on the desires of our heart, the common good what we're seeking, pursuing, uh, and holiness, but also to embrace each other's wounds, to embrace each other's crosses along the way. And so we often talk about common good, common wound mindset, and we wanted to show what does that look like uh, after every other chapter, uh, but throughout the book too, I mean, because it was written by both of us, but specifically every other chapter offers that perspective. Yeah, and let's get into kind of the meat of of uh, the book in uh, in just a second, but I wanted to pause for a moment and just think about think about this with you, um, and get your your information about this. How many people really are we talking about in our society? I mean, we have a lot of people: Catholics, non-Catholics, secular people. I mean, we're living in a world full of grown-ups walking around who are the product of divorce. So I know you share some statistics in your book, but what what kind of numbers are we talking about? Yeah, I think the statistic that that hits us the most deeply is the fact that nowadays less than half of children will reach adulthood with a married mother and father still united in the same home. So flipping that around, more than half of people come into adulthood and by that point, their parents are no longer together. 
Um, something that we try to bring out in the book is this is both children of divorce, strictly speaking, so people whose parents married and then divorced, but it's also there's a growing number of people from relationships that never were marriages. So cohabitating relationships or you know, relationships that were much more casual. Um, and those relationships are even more fragile. So we also speak to those individuals as well. So when we're thinking about everyone who's lost the love of their parents together, uh, it's over half of the adult population currently. So that's, that's huge. That's millions and millions of people. We're, we focus on the United States and look at, you know, the statistics we're using are United States specific. Um, but yeah, it's a huge, huge number of people that have that experience in their, in their background and living it now. Yeah. And so I, I think that's really helpful to just keep in mind because I mean, we have all these people walking around with this in their, in their life, in their lives. And, um, we can't we can't pretend like there's no effect that 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 creates right and so I really appreciated that about your book and so many of the things just right from the beginning that you started getting into I just have to admit were things that were very pertinent to my own my own experience of, of growing up um, the the product of uh, divorced parents and towards the beginning of the book that that first chapter where you really get into the meat of things you talk about the wound of silence and I I loved what you talked about with regard to divorce happy talk. Would you tell our audience what you mean by that and kind of what, you know, how we, how we react to that as adults, this divorce happy talk that we may have heard? Yeah, I mean, so divorce happy talk is seeing divorce only in a positive light. Like uh, for instance, oh, the couples are being authentic. Oh, they'll be better off. The children will be better off from divorce. If the parents are happy, the kids will be happy. So. Uh, it's best that they divorce. So seeing all of it in this one-sided light, that's good, only good. <laughs> and um, when in reality, we know it's it's always wounded, always, always wounded. If you start from the objective truth of how God designed us, um, is children the fruit of these two parents? There's always a wound when there's that loss of the rupture of their two parents and their love together. And we say they're loved together because even if our parents continue to love us as individuals after the fact, there's still a loss. And of course, we're thankful for that individual love, but losing the love of our parents together always wounds. And what's lost with this positive, happy divorce talk is that none of that's acknowledged. It's all brushed under the rug. And as children, you feel like you have to go along with that narrative <clears throat> or somehow we're not desiring our parents' happiness if we go against that narrative. And so it causes a lot of silence, confusion, or worse, making us feel gaslighted, that we have pain or we're going crazy, um, or even it can alienate us from our parents, right? If we disagree with that narrative and we say, hey, no, I was not okay with this. And actually, I wanted you to be together and cause a lot of friction uh, in the parent-child relationship. So that would be some of the examples of uh, happy divorce talk. You know, it seemed to me that even even where you might have a married couple who are totally wrong for each other, who maybe never even really loved each other, but who have children, there's still this the wound will still happen, right? I mean, it's like there's just no way to 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 talk about it that can be entirely positive. And it's only gonna kind of create more hurt to not acknowledge that. It, would you say that's right, Bethany? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of what we're trying to do with life-giving wounds is creating the space and giving the encouragement 
for people to look at their family of origin and whatever ways they've been wounded, enter into that, know that Jesus is there with them. And everyone's story is different. There's so many reasons why a family has not lasted, you know, and, and one thing we encourage both in the book and on our retreats is a lot of journaling. We think that's a great exercise for as people are wrestling with these, um, these scenarios and trying to find healing. And something we encourage is even going back and journaling your story. Like what was the story of your parents' divorce or their split? Um, people can find that really helpful and, and being willing to go into that grief and not just brushing it off. It's like, okay, it was no big deal. You know, a lot of times that can be kind of the coping mechanism. Um, but we, we've just seen some beautiful fruits of when people have that courage and are given the grace to sit with that sadness and that grief for whatever has happened in their life. The Lord is really so strongly present there in those moments. Yeah. And you talk about a, a few things that I hadn't thought very deeply about, but you also talk about how even the so-called gray divorce, where um, parents separate uh, when they're older, when their children are already adults, are that that's something that adults really need to, that adult children of divorce really need to process. So that's one. And then another one, and I want to get into this a little more in another context, but you also talk about where there's a situation for us as Catholics, where there's a declaration of nullity. Um, what does that mean? How do we process that? So I don't know if you have thoughts about either one of those or both um, before we move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a lot and a lot is said in the book about this. Uh, I just, yeah, I want to add for the gray divorce um, where parents usually in their 60s call it quits when their parents or children are adults, the, the thinking, and this is part of the happy divorce talk. Oh, I've raised them. They're 18. 22. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done the parenting. Thing. I'm done. Yeah. And it's such a lie. It's such a lie. Like, no, like <laughs> there's never a moment in our life where losing the love of our parents together doesn't hurt. Okay. And we need our parents for as long as God gives us to them, to us, you know, until natural death, that it's a tremendous wound and it, and it can, oh my gosh, it can cause just as many crises as when they were children that we've heard. So it's this uh, fantasy, this lie that, oh, just because they're adults, it shouldn't affect them. Uh, it's false. It does. It still affects them. And especially, again, if we start with, we got to keep coming back to uh, the objective truth of how we were made. We're always the fruit of our parents. It doesn't stop when we're 22. We don't all of a sudden just stop and become little independent adults with no history related to our families, you know, contra the, you know, dominant views of individualism, you know, uh, we're always united to our family. And then the second case, uh, we have a lot to say about declaration of nullity. Um, this is, I mean, I assume your listeners are familiar, but it's worth repeating. This is, um, unlike civil divorce that breaks something that the, the church says is a marriage, uh, annulments is looking at what leads up to the marriage and says, um, uh, was there a marriage to begin with or was there not? And if it wasn't, it was because there was some kind of impediment. Okay. So there, there's some clear differences between divorce and a declaration of nullity that, that really do matter in the lives of children of divorce and just to know the truth of the situation, seeking the truth of the situation of what happened on the, on the wedding day. <clears throat> now, even if they receive a declaration of nullity, um, which should matter. And again, we're, we're presuming here that it was done right. Uh, cause we know there's sometimes problems with 
how the tribunals function, but let's presume it's doing it's done right. Even if that uh, brings some healing, okay, they're in right standing with the church, which is good. Um, if they enter into a new marriage, etc. Um, even in that best case scenario, there's still a loss. There is a loss of your parents' love together. Even if that love didn't raise to the sacrament of marriage, there's still a loss. So we have to acknowledge this. Like even if the declaration nullity brings healing for the um, the parents and the kids to some extent, there's still a tremendous loss. And it affects them in a lot of different ways, just or a lot of similar ways as adult children divorce. So we got to get real and talk about that. Uh, and so we do have regularly people in this situation. Well, I think sometimes like what we've heard from people that we have encountered through life human wounds is sometimes there can be a sense that if your parents get a declaration of nullity, it's like, all right, that difficult season is over. You know, it has been decided. You've gone through the process and so forth. And that's really not the reality for the kid. You know, they still they're living the experience of a child of divorce um, just with parents who also received a declaration of nullity. So we do address that a couple times in our in our book because we know that that's a particularly Catholic uh, thing. So we wanted to speak to that um, in a, a, a Catholic guide to healing just felt like that needed to be addressed. Yeah. And maybe we can bring this up later, but I mean, of course there is the, this whole question of even as an adult child of divorce, asking yourself, well, am I, am I illegitimate? Am I, what does that mean about me? Who am I then if my parents were never really married? Is this something you encounter with, with couples you talk to? Yeah, you can definitely bring up questions of identity. I mean, we always stress that according to church teaching, those marriages were presumed to be valid. There's really like the whole question of illegitimacy is not really like an operable arena uh, that the church is using at this point. So we kind of try to like calm those fears. There's nothing really that kind of attaches to that label, so to speak. Um, but yeah, that question of like, what, what happened? Like, was this even a real family, you know, and now that my parents were never married. Um, and yeah, we all, we always try to stress that, okay, that love that was present was not marital love. The church said like, there was not a marriage here. There could have still been very genuine love. You know, it's not that everything is lost. Um, and a lot of that, we address it in our chapter on identity because for all children of divorce, we try to really emphasize rooting our identity in God, willing us into creation, loving us tremendously, rooting it in our baptism, that we are children of the perfect marriage in and through our baptism. And no matter what uh, difficulties or confusions have happened in our earthly family, that is such a gift that we have in our faith. Um, and really leaning into that, being a child of God, and not just in a kind of a trite, superficial way, but all the depth that that brings us for our, our identity, our mission. Uh, there's so much there. So we explore that a lot, both for those with situations of declaration of nullity, but for all the children of divorce. Yeah, I, I really appreciated how you came, you, you know, you made such a strong case in the book for our identity in Christ, our baptismal sonship, daughtership, if, if those are words, um, but understanding our relationship to our Heavenly Father. Uh, and also, I have to say, I really appreciated not only what you said about the church, that our belonging to the church is is a part of this sort of, gr you know, greater participation in in family, in in uh spiritual uh, spiritual reality but also what you said about our lady about mary and you know i mean i uh, i'm not only a child not to get into my own life too much but i'm not only a, an adult child of divorce but also a convert to the catholic church and so you know to to come into the church and then have to come into a relationship not only with our lord but with with mary and understand that motherly role that 
now a lot of people have wounded father situations, but a lot of people have wounded mother situations too. And how, you know, how the church really offers that, that healing and that help. Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave that there if you want to take it from there before we move on to another topic. No, I mean, I love it. I mean, this is another reason why Christ gives us his mother, right? Like he knew we would be wounded in this way. He knew it. Like, I mean, rather than run away from these titles, God is father, Mary is mother, um, Christ is the bridegroom. Part of the reason he gave us these titles and these realities is he knew we'd be wounded by our families. He knew it. And yeah, what a gift that he thought of all eternity in mind to give us a mother. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. Well, let's talk about grieving now. Um, Bethany, you've already uh, alluded to this a little bit. You have a whole a whole chapter in the book where you talk about uh, not only the importance of grieving, but you lay out these marks of Christian grieving. I, I think there are seven of them. Would you like to just tell us about those and and what they, what what you know, sort of what they're for? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what we wanted to do is both again encourage just ha- having the courage to go into that grief. We know that that's scary. That takes effort. That takes time. Uh, but also give some some guidance because sometimes it's like, okay, I feel sad. Like, what do I do with this? Where where do I go with this? So that's where we were, um, you know, trying to trying to flesh that out a little bit and getting really down to the nitty gritty about like, what does it look like to grieve as a Christian? Yeah. So the seven marks that we came up with, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just us reflecting deeply on on scripture and then how how do we apply it to our lives? Because we've seen time and time again that grief is the first step of healing, Uh, acknowledging that you have a wound um, and in grieving it. But there is good and bad ways of grieving. Right. So we're we were asking always in our ministry what does the gospel say about grief? And the first thing is that uh, it's rooted in love. It's a form of love. And we mentioned the beautiful uh, image of Lazarus, how Jesus wept at Lazarus' death. And I always found that fascinating. We talked about this in the book. He did this despite knowing he was going to raise him up. And so it's like, despite these beautiful truths of the church that we'll all be resurrected one day, he says, it's good to grieve. It's still good to grieve. Why is that? And it's rooted in love. Like grief is a form of love and it's beautiful. Um, John eleven thirty six. 36. I always love this line. See how he loved him. They saw in his grief, the love for Lazarus. Okay. Moving more quickly. Uh, the second uh, aspect of grief is you do have to uh, name what it is that wounds. So we have to reveal in order to heal and we need help. We need help revealing how we've been wounded. We need to ask Christ. We need to talk to others. So the second mark is to reveal in order to heal which we need others to help us reveal the layers. Third, um, grief distinguishes between the person and his or her acts. And that's important because of, um, you know, when we're looking at pain, it's always directed at the acts. Like our parents are fundamentally good. And that's an important reality to recognize, no matter the toxicity, no matter the harm, even if you can't even have a relationship because let's say the worst possible scenario very toxic, abusive, right? They're still always good. And that's important to come back to. So we're leveling the grief at their acts, the acts that have harmed us. Um, Fourth is to seek out those um, who share the wound. Again, grief is an invitation to communion. Blessed are those who mourn. Fourth, uh, we really believe that grief 
is a call to expand our hearts and to integrate that grief into the larger realities of our life, into who we are, into love. So we talk a lot about needing to integrate grief, uh, not just into love, but who we are to expand our hearts. Uh, six, cultivate hope and here to reject the victim mentality, to reject self-pity, which says things cannot get better. You know, this hypersensitivity to woundedness that you you almost you identify with the wound, right? You, you cling so tightly to it. Like, I'm only wounded. I'm only adult child divorce. I'm only an addict. I'm only whatever. These feelings, an angry person uh, to reject that, reject that victim mentality, which is a sin against hope and to grieve with hope. Uh, Paul talks about that. One Thessalonians 4.13 to grieve with hope. So knowledge of the wound, but we have to trust healing is possible. God can bring good out of this. And then finally, uh, to move towards acceptance. This is a huge topic. Acceptance of the crosses that we did not choose. Um, not begrudgingly, not with resentment, not just like, oh, this is not going to get better. But acceptance with an eye towards uh, the hope of transforming them in Christ's love. So those are kind of the seven marks. We go into a lot more detail, um, but those are the seven marks we talked about. I really appreciated your laying out those seven marks. And as you say, of course, there are other others maybe that uh, others might might find helpful or useful or, or uh, essential. But um, I, I, I appreciated what you did there because I, in my experience anyway, from my own life and people that I know, I, I just I don't think that it's it's commonly maybe people who are used to going to therapy and things like that know this, but you know, just a lot of people just walking around may not, may not have ever really felt permission to grieve their, you know, what they experienced in their parents' divorce or, or that it's something they ought to do, you know, and maybe in fact, they've heard the opposite, that it's something they should just forget, you know, put out of their mind, just get on with life, move forward, you know? So I really appreciated that. And, you know, that leads me to the next thing that I want to say, which is, or ask you about, which is, Okay, we have all these adult children of divorce walking around in the world. Um, many of them uh, will have come not only from Catholic homes where there will be the question of nullity and all that kind of thing, but other Christian homes, uh, you know, homes where faith is important. What, you know, what, what, what's the message? What, what do you hear from people and what do you say to people about the question of what to do, what to do with their faith? when, you know, their faith is bound up in those family relationships too. Yeah, no, definitely. Now we have a kind of a two chapter segment about faith and the impact on faith, because we know statistically that children of divorce are less likely to be active in their faith. When they get older, they're less likely to belong to a church. I mean, it's a real opportunity for evangelization. Um, and there's some pretty direct lines from, you know, what happens in people's families to how committed and present they'll be in their faith, you know, as an adult. Um, I mean, it brings up so many questions. Having your family fall apart brings up huge existential questions of suffering. So right there, it's just, gosh, they, they need people to sit with them in that because they're not easy questions about like, why? Why did I have to go through this? Why couldn't I have the family that I desired? So that's huge. I mean, and we need people to help guide us through that. Um, and then questions about who God is. I mean, you kind of alluded to it, Andrew, especially if there's abandonment by one's father or mistreatment by one's father that raises some pretty serious questions about God the Father. Uh, we know that our the language of our church that our church gives us is so filled with family imagery. So even having those family images can feel really kind of there's a disconnect between what I saw in my family and what I'm hearing about God the Father and Mary my mother. Um, and Dan kind of alluded to this already, but but 
we, in our book, we try to encourage people to see that language the church gives us as a gift to help heal our own experiences and our own understanding of these family relationships. Because of course, all of it, like us as a married couple, we're called to image God's love to our children and to the world. We do not do that perfectly. <laughs> we try, we pray for the graces, we're doing our best. Um, but even when we fail, the image that we're trying to reflect, that, that image that is in God, that his perfect love, that's what never fails. Um, so trying to, to help people see that and feel grounded in that. And then to, I know a lot of what, what we are trying to do with our book too is both for the children of divorce that read it, but also for the wider Christian community to help open their hearts and minds to the people in, in our midst at our parishes or not at our parishes that are children of divorce who need that love and support and care um, and mentorship. So helping Christians see the real need that there is out there for relational healing um, and, and helping encourage those children of divorce to find that healing in Christ. Yeah, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard cited the reason for a person falling away from their faith was their parents' example of the faith. I mean, just again and again. And, and wrapped up with that, a nice summary, and we started the chapter on faith, the wound, of, the wound to faith on this chapter, they feel abandoned by God. Well, if this is what Christianity looks like, not only do I not want this, but also I feel abandoned. I feel abandoned by God. If this is what you're saying God's leading you to do or not do, or it hasn't made a difference. So um, tremendous wounds to the faith that need to be taken very seriously and ha have people work through it. Um, yeah, I mean, I could say so many, I have so many stories of this, but yeah, this is a huge, huge area of need. You throughout the book, you have bits of testimony from people that you've talked to who are adult children of divorce. And there was one part in particular kind of on this point um, to follow up what you were just saying, Dan, uh, where there someone recounts a story of um, a, a child of divorce being at dinner at another family's house where the there's a disagreement about the food or something. I think it's like the pizza is too garlicky or something yeah, like that. Like on the pizza. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to, uh, Bethany, would you like to just tell us that story and kind of what its significance is? Sure. Yeah. No, this came from um, one of our leaders and, and board members and he shared a story when he, you know, he comes from a divorce home and when he was dating his girlfriend who then later became his wife at dinner um, I think it was the, his, the girlfriend's dad made a remark about like, I don't know about this pizza. Like there's something off about it. And it, for Too much him, garlic. yeah, for him instantly, he's like, Whoa, like alarm bells are going off. Like in my home, this type of comment just escalates into shouting, you know, fighting, like all these things. So he's just bracing himself. And then his girlfriend's mom just kind of casually was like, yeah, I guess it did turn out, you know, I, I used a little too much garlic. It was like such a non-issue and he shared with us how that was such an eye-opening thing to be like, wow, like families can live like this. You know, there's a different way to live. And then he goes on, you know, in his life to have a tremendous marriage and talks about having to kind of reprogram his way that he um, interacts with his wife, deals with disagreements. I mean, there's so much that children of divorce coming from homes where they did not see marriage lived well or even at all um, need that roadmap and need some very specific mentors and examples um, for things that maybe people from intact homes just take for granted uh, that that are just part of your daily life but children of divorce it's a it's a shocking experience to have things go better than they did in their homes yeah just to add briefly to that is you can see in that example how 
if you come from a dysfunctional home or a broken home, you, you're always on guard, like scanning the horizon for things that are going to go wrong. And this increases your anxiety, your ability to delight in the moment. And so he had to really unlearn all of that. So that's what's so great about that example is that like all of his alarm bells were going off, but everybody else was like, no, they're able to de-escalate it really quickly and move on. Yeah. And Dan, you, there, I think there's uh, another anecdote in the book about, or, or, or just the point that you make, I think in the book, both of you, that um, there, uh, for, for uh, adult children of divorce, there can be actually a sense of, uh, you, I want to get into anxiety in a moment, but there can be this sense of anxiety and foreboding that actually when things are going well, that's right. when you, that's when things are probably assuredly going to go horribly wrong. Yeah, yep. yeah, definitely. Yep. I mean, it comes the, up yeah. again, again. Yeah, like the thing that comes to mind is people who come from, you know, what they call low conflict divorces. Because a lot of times you hear about the situations where, like, okay, there is there is violence, there was abuse. Okay, there needed something needed to happen. People needed to get to safety. But most divorces are low conflict divorces, or not like that. Uh, but the children from those scenarios can have a kind of a uniquely difficult experience of like they thought everything was fine in their family. Um, and especially for younger kids, it could just be out of the clear blue that their parents are getting a divorce. Obviously, the adults knew there was tension and things happening on an adult level. But for kids in that scenario, it can, that's a very impactful experience that then can affect how they see other happy things in their life, because knowing that. You know, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is the bottom going to fall out out of this thing that I thought was stable and pleasant? Um, so there's a lot there that does lead into yeah, cool. dealing with anxiety um, and trying to come to a place where we can rest in joyful experiences and not be on edge all the time. Yeah, and that's the phenomenon we we're talking about, the foreboding joy. But oh, just to be clear, it can happen. She's bringing up low conflict, but it, also if you had high conflict as well, you're also on guard. Mm -hmm. and have higher anxiety too but uh foreboding joy is that phenomenon of like you said when things are going right that is when you expect things to go the worst and again we were kind of habituated to that it was at the holidays it was during a happy dinner it was during birthday party vacations when things seemed to go right everything blew up or like bethany said everything seemed to go right and then all of a sudden there's this major announcement oh we're getting a divorce out of nowhere and if this good thing can be taken away, any good thing can be taken away. So you, yeah. you start to distrust the good. Yeah. I was thinking too about, uh, I think we we touched on this a, a little bit already that, you know, the book I, I hope will be um, an encouragement to people with what we would call good or stable marriages to, to be an example to people, not only that, oh, a good marriage is possible, but also that a good marriage is difficult. You know, that like people stay married because, well, they stay married, you know, I mean, in, to some degree. Right. And so there can be, you know, to to adult children of divorce, divorce, this example that, hey, I mean, it's not always leave it to beaver around here, but we're 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 making this life work. And there are no differences ultimately that are going to be irreconcilable to us, you know. Uh, so that's just a reflection I had. I don't know if you had any more to say about that. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, thanks be to God for the church's teaching on the indissolubility of marriage, truly. It's like one of those like mouthful words that really means that there is nothing that Dan or I can do to break our marriage apart. Literally nothing. <laughs> and that is, I find that a tremendous gift. And I really hope that more and more people see it that way. So when you go through a difficulty, you know God is sustaining our marriage, his perfect love 
is at the heart of it. And we always want to get better and do better, especially for our children to give them a good example, um, but to rest in that, the peace and confidence that, um, that we have in our faith. Yeah. And I think uh, it reflects deeply on our pain when you realize like my desire for my parents to be together and to love each other is a desire for this indissolubility. It's both a natural desire and a sacramental desire, right? Uh, love gives, it desires to give not just today, but every day today, right? There's this natural desire of love uh, to give every day, rest of one's life today, or tend towards that. And, but with sacramental marriage to baptize Christians, we believe Christ comes into that and makes a new sacramental reality that cannot be broken, even if you should choose to civilly divorce. And that is a beautiful reality and should be a beautiful comfort to us adult children in divorce because it's the antidote. It's the antidote um, for, for the pain that we've experienced. And, and that just reminded me of something that really struck me in the book that I hadn't even intended to bring up. But you, you bring up this category of person who, and I forget what you call them, but that are, that are divorced, but are not, choose not to remarry as a, you know, they, they, they live with the state that they, that they are in. And they, in a sense, are exemplars too of the, of the, the sacredness of marriage. Yes, definitely. So the term is standards is the term that we use in the book that comes from others. Um, but yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, cause there's plenty of people out there who are divorced, but it's against their will. They did not want to divorce. They wanted the marriage to keep going. Um, you know, that's just the reality that we have with how the divorce system is set up currently. Um, so we do, we, we get, we give a nod and praise and honor to, um, those individuals who, despite being civilly divorced, still honor their marriage vows, consider, consider themselves, know that they are still married and live in that fidelity. Um, that's a tremendous witness because that is an incredibly hard place for people to be, to live that that reality. But but just to say more, because I, I care a lot about this subject as well, we dedicated our book to one standard as well. Um, it's a viable spiritual pathway to happiness and joy. Because they are standing faithfully in their marriage vow. They are standing faithful to God's plan for them. And that does bear joy, even through the hardships, the loneliness of the holidays, the weekends, and everything, all the suffering that goes into that. There can also be tremendous joy standing faithful. And I, you know, myself and many others have been the product of this beautiful witness that is not discussed enough, I think, in the church so often is dominated by the divorce and remarriage. Well, you know, there's this spiritual uh, viable pathway of standing faithful in your vows and you can be happy and joyful. And I've seen this alongside their cross that they face. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I know that readers will be edified to kind of learn about that sort of person if they hadn't really thought enough about that kind of person already. Um, let's talk about anger. Uh, I know anger is a common emotion that is um, that adult children of divorce deal with. So I'll just throw it to you open-ended here. What, what do you have to say about anger and this, and this issue as it relates to adult children of divorce? Uh, a lot. So, I mean, again, we have a chapter, the wound to emotional life, we predominantly focus on uh, anxiety and anger. There's other wounds to emotional life. Um, just, well, one, I just want to acknowledge that there is, there is a righteous anger here, right? Um, anger by itself um, is morally neutral. It's what we do with anger, right? So feeling angry um, 
is not necessarily a problem. I'm going to say a caveat to that, though, because we, we do want to work towards letting go of anger, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but it's, it's morally neutral. It's what we do with it. You know, do, do we take that anger and then desire revenge on our parents? Well, that's, that's sinful. <laughs> that's sinful anger. But to feel angry because you've lost a great good of your parents' love together, that's part of your humanity. That's justice, right? That is, that's justice, what you deserve, what was due, what God wanted, right, for you in your life. So there's a righteous part, but we want to avoid slipping into that sinful anger, one of which is, I said, you know, revenge, uh, speaking spiteful of our parents, um, passive aggressiveness, right, intentionally avoiding them out of a desire to hurt them. Um, and there's a lot of other pitfalls, but what do we do with it? Uh, to avoid sinful anger, first of all, it's to acknowledge it. It's okay to have anger. It's okay to express it in healthy ways to spouse, to um, God in your prayer. But after expressing it, uh, try to get at the deeper emotions. What what do you need to grieve? And then um, there might need to be boundaries, right? If you know, for instance, a parent is toxic and they don't keep changing their behavior, right? You don't want to get in a situation where you feel like you have to yell and shout at them and uh, and, you know, fall into your own sin and respond to that. And then finally, like, there can be no healing, whether it's anxiety, anger, without forgiveness. And we sort of lay out a multi-step process to forgiveness. But one of the steps of forgiveness is to intentionally let that anger go little by little uh, for various reasons. One, you know, it's a two-for-one deal out of love of the other, out of charity, out of forgiveness. But also, it's not good for us to be locked in a state of perpetual anger. We do want to slowly release that and let that go, even though, yes, it's morally neutral. We don't want to stay in that state. You mentioned uh, forgiveness. And in the book, you, you talk about how sometimes even a, one, a one-sided forgiveness is okay. Um, I wonder if you could say more about that. Yeah, for sure. So we talk about unilateral forgiveness, and that would be in scenarios where, say, the person that you're seeking to forgive, let's say a parent, um, does not take any responsibility for their actions related to the divorce, um, or is just very steadfast, like this was the right thing to do. You know, so there's not, in those cases, unfortunately, there's not a chance for true reconciliation, because there's not two people who are willing to kind of turn to each other, yes, let's, you know, confess our faults and come into a better relationship. But even in those scenarios, we really encourage people, there is still so, so much tremendous value in forgiving. And we kind of go through a lot of things. What is forgiving not? You know, it's not, it's not overlooking sin. It's not saying, oh, this is okay. You know, a lot of times you have that quick knee jerk response, like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's no problem. You know, it's not, it's, we try to go to a much deeper level to name the hurt that was caused. And if sometimes this could be writing a letter and maybe you never send it, but just putting it down on paper and then taking that again and again to pray to prayer praying for the Lord to soften your heart, even for the desire to forgive. That could be a place to start when there's tremendous hurt, a desire to forgive. And then we reflect a lot on um, how in the Lord's prayer, certain translations talk about forgive us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, and that sense of there, there is something truly owed to children. Like it, it, their parents are meant to be there for them and to be there for them for life. A lot of the forgiveness process that we see is realizing that that debt that truly was owed may never be repaid. 
Um, taking that to prayer, acknowledging that, uh, that injustice, this was something wrong that should not have happened. It was not intended in God's plan, but realizing that there may, there's possibly no amount of, you know, crying out for it or begging for it even is going to give you, give the child what they desire and their parents' love and unity. Um, and that's a hard place to be, but we think that's a, a place for really fruitful healing, um, to come to that point. And then even to, potentially get to the next point of accepting the love that our parents are able to give us. And we've seen some beautiful examples of that in our ministry um, with parents that, you know, very objectively um, did a lot of things that were harmful, but still had some love and the children coming to a place to grieve the losses that they had, but accepting the love that their parents could give, could give them. And that is all a process. <laughs> it is not easy and it takes time. Um, so we really try to stress that forgiveness is not just a, you know, two second quick, like, oh, I forgive them. It's something that takes time, takes grace, and can extend in over time, even as, as new wounds arise. Um, so we do, we talk about forgiveness quite a, quite a bit in our book. Yeah, it, it's a, forgiveness is a virtue. It's a habit of the heart. It's not a one and done act, but often again and again for the same wound, the same thing that continues to affect us, that has ripple effects in our lives. And just to say one thing for the listeners, you know, okay, maybe this term unilateral forgiveness sounds weird, but this is radically Christian. This is this is uh, our words to what Christ says, forgive your enemies, right? It, it doesn't say oh, once they repent, right? He forgave us while we were still sinners. So we are taking Christ's example here and applying it to our lives. And that also means in this radical Christian concept of forgiveness, uh, we need his grace. We recognize this is heroic work. This this is the stuff of the saints that maybe doesn't make the news show, but this is the heroic work of healing and love uh, right here, right here and forgiveness. That's very encouraging. And maybe we could just end on this note then. With all of the divorce in the world, with fewer people even choosing to get married, um, where uh, you seem like hopeful people to me. So is, is there reason to be hopeful about marriage? Yes, always. I mean, yeah. I'll just say my personal hope is seeing people break the relational uh, broken cycles in their lives. And we see this every day in our ministry. It's possible and so beautiful. And just like we've been discussing how parental divorce causes all these different ripples in the lives of uh, the children throughout their lifetime. The opposite is true. When those children find healing, uh, strong marriages, faithful disciples, they send ripples in the opposite direction of healing all those around them. You know, healing is attractive. They bring others with them. So that really brings me hope to see that. And I love it. And that's why one of my last things I want to say here on the show is like, we cannot heal society's broken pursuit of marriage and family without healing the relational wounds of adult children, divorce, separation. We have to do both. We want to heal the culture. We've got to heal these wounds. We need you. We need resources. We need a lot more people being attuned to the depth and fighting for this healing on a grand scale. And we will see more and more hope then. Well, let's uh, let's hope and expect then that uh, your book will will be uh, an essential um, element in in this mission. Uh, the book is called Life Giving Wounds: 
A Catholic Guide to Healing for Adult Children of Divorce or Separation by Dan and Bethany Miola. Dan and Bethany, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on the Ignatius Press Podcast. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to all listening. We're praying for you. This episode has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. Please visit us at Ignatius.com. Follow us on social media and be sure to rate and review this podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrew Pettiprin. God bless.